Hello and welcome to Ben's Multi-Story Podcast. And an apology to start this one off. I balls up the levels of the microphone, so I sound like I'm sitting in a shoebox under the stairs somewhere. But my guest is Jenny Landreth, and you can hear her loud and clearly, which is brilliant because she's very chatty, very lovely. She talks about being a script editor for the rather fantastic Hey Dougie and an author in her own right. Um, really enjoyed talking with her. Hope you enjoy listening to it. Hello, Jenny Landreth. Hi. Um, and thank you for agreeing to do this, this rather random podcast about stories. Um, like I said, it's all about stories, and you are, uh, your work is all about stories. What would you say your job is? Uh, I have two jobs. I am a writer, and I'm a script editor. So on one hand, I write my own stuff, narrative uh, non-fiction, mostly. And then on the other hand, I run the script team and I'm the script editor for uh, our very wonderful kids animation series right. called Hey Dougie. Can we, can we just have, um, I'll say a round of applause, but obviously... Let's take a moment. Yes, take a moment to just enjoy Hey Dougie at its finest. I've, I've had to try and introduce it to as many people as possible. Thank you. Um, have a small child who enjoys it. Probably not as much as his parents enjoy it. Yeah. But when you download all the episodes and are made to watch it over and over again... I think it's bearable. I've been in that. Well, my kids were my kids were pre-downloadable, so we'd what? But so you'd just wait for everything to come around again on CBBS. My kids were the Hoobs, uh, the Tweenies. Oh, they were bad. They were so bad. Something so wrong about the Tweenies. And what was that other one with the uh, the Teletubbies? That one. They're still going. They're still going. They made some more of those. I'm sure they were great, but for me as a parent, it was always like dump you in front of the telly and go off and do my own thing. I don't think you have to do that so much with Hey Dougie. So just okay for those people who've never heard of Hey Dougie, which is a travesty in its own right. Can you explain it? Hey Dougie is a preschool animation series uh, about a dog who runs a kind of uh, childcare facility and looks after a group of five little individuals called the squirrels, although none of them are squirrels. There, that's it. Uh, There's more to it than that, isn't it? Because they're all animals. They are all animals. Some animals can speak and some can't. Yes. They all go basically to all, all these five different creatures Tag, Roly, Betty, Norrie, and Happy go and uh, have their day with Dougie and they work towards gaining some knowledge or experience via the medium of a badge. Every episode is around a badge. So um, you're responsible for because obviously when the credits come up it says written by and then you just come as script editor. Yes. So Without going too much into Hey Dougie, which I'm just about to anyway, but just for the sake of this, you're, what do you do? I run the script team. Um, I basically act as a kind of mediator between the director of the show, Grant Orchard, who is an actual bona fide living genius. And I'm allowed to say that because I'm quite old and I've met, worked with many, many people in my long and unillustrious career. So I, I know genius when I see it and Grant is definitely it. But I act as a kind of mediator between him and our team of writers. Um, so basically, he and I will come up with a basic synopsis of what a badge might be. For instance, uh, we might have the shapes badge or the colour badge or the river badge, which, you know, something like that. And we'll write a three-line synopsis and then our writers work up from that. So, and I, I shape things with them and present them to Grant and he and I shape things. And it, so it's a kind of ongoing, organic process. So why aren't you credited as a writer then? I do write some episodes. Okay. Uh, then, and then I am credited as the writer. But I don't. Uh, editors, editors are often or often feel like writers, but we're we're not. We are telling writers what to do, and it's a great job because you can just say that's that's not funny enough. Make it funnier, and you don't have to think of the joke because that's a the hard bit. So all you have to do is make say make that funnier, and people are required to come up to your standards. So it's perfect. Let me let me just backtrack. You come up with Grant. You sit there. You come, what on earth was the stick? About. Oh, okay, stick. Because that is obviously it's a bit of a, it's kind of got more legs than it did have, and it's gone to YouTube and parents and adults. But it is. I, I watched. That. It was on Newsnight. But yeah, exactly. I, the first time I saw that, and I was watching the episode, new episodes come on. Yeah. Um, and for those people who don't have small children, they trail on CBBS, and you have new episodes of you, and, and so they're there. And I was watching it live, 
as you do. Yeah. The great events, the things you remember in your life. Yeah. I was watching. <laughs> Where were you when you were? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and it came on, and um, I just remember thinking, "This is mental." Yeah. In the, the most fantastic way, this is absolutely yeah. mental. It's. Um, well, could you just explain it? Just explain. Well, it's an episode about a stick insect because we can go anywhere and do anything. Obviously, we're animation, so it was an episode about. Uh, it's called. They were they were working towards getting their stick badge, which was Dougie lighting a fire and trying to get the right kind of stick to light a fire. And then one of the sticks they find is actually a stick insect who only communicates by uh, way of saying stick. And then at one point he gets so enthusiastic he sings stick 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 a lot of times, and it's kind of turned into a piece of Euro pop. Uh, slash rave yes. slash kind of uh, prodigy kind of number. It's and it's hilarious and brilliant and it completely. Um, when I, I tweeted out a piece of the script because it, the script just literally says stick 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 sticky sticky stick stick a number of times and you kind of think what was I what was I thinking when you look back at that piece of script thinking how the, the how was, the was hell did evening. I did that get passed but then it, it was probably. Show number 87, 88. <laughs> I knew the guy who wrote it, a guy, a brilliant guy called Sander Jones, who also works as Grant's assistant. And they do a lot of the voices there, so you don't know. They do a lot a of the voices, bit, yeah. yeah which we'll so you really, you learn to trust what your writers are giving you, that will we'll go to the animatic and be, and turn out okay. Because otherwise, you know, you'd read Stick, 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 written 78 times, and go really not sure what you're what you're showing me here because an animation script is it has to be very visual as as well as verbal visuals are almost more important so how many visual clues do you put in there is it like a stage direction so yes the script you've got yes oh, dougie does this dougie does that yes very rolling up something over again yes oh. and you'll put some feeling and emotion into that you'll, you'll kind of give it the tone of a hey dougie episode i mean the scripts are works of love and passion and patience and you know there's 14 pages and, and then you'll see it on screen and go oh okay we you know that all that kind of whole backstory that we put into that or you know has just been so distilled into this perfect seven minute thing there is some amazing um uh, and some quite i must say avant-garde but some quite nice things for a kid's show because obviously every kid's show these days pays lip service to inclusion and, and rightly so and has that representation there and that's brilliant um but you have mr and mr crab yeah there's no mention of them, fact. And the fact is, it's not a couple of crabs that are, are gay crabs. It's the fact that one of them is just completely OTT. The other one doesn't actually seem to want to be with him. The other one, <laughs> Nigel, doesn't seem to want to be with him. I think that's projection. I think you've entirely you sure? projected onto because that. Because Nigel rolls his eyes a, a lot. They're, when, a, they're a loving couple in my eyes. Well, he rolls his eyes a lot. Well, you know, hey. <laughs> oh, Nigel. Yeah. There's the recitals, wasn't it? The recitals one. And Nigel just rolls his eyes every time. Yeah. I say every time because I watch it several times. Yeah. He does the same thing every time. Um, and you've got an adopted family in there? Yeah. Which I believe is Tag. Uh, no, yeah. that's uh, Happy is adopted. Happy. Yeah. Happy's Happy's no, parents Happy's the crocodile with other parents. Up, which yeah, is yeah. Terrible, don't yeah. be forgiven about that. Yeah. <laughs> um and so Rolly as well. Rolly's the best character in it by a country mile. Because he's 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 just Rolly's the most obviously uh, people feel great amounts of affection towards Absolutely. Rolly. I love Nori and I love Happy. Uh, okay, okay, Nori. Okay. Now Nori's a mouse, right? Yeah. So how come all the other mice are much smaller? than Nori and how can when the, you, like, you can't even go down that road because you think well how come Nori can speak and, Ro and Dougie the dog who's yeah, in charge can't speak but the other mice can speak as well when they take over the yeah. castle yeah they speak yeah and that's yeah. fine but Nori's a mouse as well yeah. so I don't but they also go to space I mean basically yes. the rule is that you have your own internal logic the, and the squirrels and Dougie the squirrels can all talk the narrator who is where who knows uh, translates Dougie I mean is that it, Alexander it, Armstrong it makes sense uh, but it doesn't make sense because it's animation and what what makes sense about this? No, nothing You just have sense. to go with an internal logic and some animals will speak and some of them won't. And that, you know, it's entirely about what's useful to us as writers and animators and making a show. Ethel the elephant doesn't speak. She only speaks through her trunk. But True. then the snake will have a very, you know, we've just done a lion who gives a very detailed description of various things but can't... but. We don't discuss that he eats other animals, although he clearly does. You know, so there's a lot of internal logic that works entirely to our needs. We we are the slug in our house. I love the slug. 
just don't stop. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. We often say that to each other. Let's let's brush over that one right now. <laughs> so, as far as stories go, yeah. there's a lot of stories, isn't there, with Hey Dougie? Because you're dealing with an animation that's seven minutes long. Yeah. So, how do you go about kind of is not a narrative arc, obviously, because they're all independent episodes. But is there a case of like the, the ideas start getting thinner, or is it just you expand on them? So do you kind of run out of it it's, halfway through, or is it's that... neither of those things? There's, um, there is no narrative arc over the whole 104 episodes. Yeah, no, because that would be weird. Um, there is a narrative arc in each episode, and we we do some which are very plot, some which are very story, some which are very character, and it entirely depends on you know what the writer comes up with, what we want to do with particular episodes. So it's a kind of a complete bag of possibilities. And we pick from that bag according to what we kind of want to do. Sometimes we'll feel, actually, we've done a lot of episodes where there's five or six extra characters or they're all doing a lot and it's very busy. Let's have a very quiet, small episode that's just about a feeling or just led by one character. So there's, you know, there's lots of different ways to tell stories. Sometimes we'll take an idea from a film. For instance, The River Badge is is Apocalypse Now yes. which is to me so utterly brilliant and delightful it makes me really excited I was watching um, last night I was watching The Shape of Water which is a terrible film okay, um, I've not seen it oh do it really save yourself £3.90 or whatever well, no, Del Toro isn't it and he's, he's, yeah he he's, did win an Oscar he's, he's yeah well, I was going to say he's usually quite good yeah well I don't know I didn't see Pan's Labyrinth I, have would, you not seen Pan's Labyrinth oh god no I'm not going to go, no, you'd have to pay me to sit, to sit through it's that. It's actually, uh, it's, I like it. It's called it. Pan's Labyrinth no, for I know a start. It is. I know, I know. No, and I can't do that. I think it's, I never see, I didn't know what it was when I watched it, and it was subtitles as well, which always makes me go a bit, oh, oh no. I have to put the hours in here. Yeah. But actually, it's, um, I thought it was quite good. But I was, the, the, the thing I was going to say about watching The Shape of Water is, I was watching it thinking... I wonder if we could turn this into a Hey Dougie episode, <laughs> apart from the obvious bits. You there know. are a lot of film references in there. Yes. And I do play yeah. the game of watching it and trying to spot them. Yeah. So there's things like this 2001 I'm sure I've seen. Yeah, you will have done. The looks now is, is quite an obvious one. Yeah. Um, I mean, that started out as a story a story outline that was like 27 pages and, you know, went into a lot of detail that we had kind of had to hone right it's down. It's quite a freaky one, that one, yeah. with that one, isn't it, with yeah. the panda? Um, but there's also... So do you start off with, with the film reference in mind? And then no. Got, I was going to say... Well, I, actually, uh, River Badge did start off with the film reference in mind. But it was the River Badge, so, it, you know, what are you going to do? There's probably loads more as well, and I, I should... I, I go through them, and I can spot them, and I think, I'm sure that is from A, B, or C. There's it, probably quite likely to be... I mean, all the animators are of a kind of, you know, 25-plus generation, so... They'll, they'll have different references to me a lot of the time and I'll have to say, what's that a reference to? And, you know, get get told. So surely there's a there's kind of, um, there's a, I don't know, kind of a, a book here, isn't there? Like, somebody's got to do this, someone's got to do it. I may have to do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> I have to watch them all back to back yeah. and try and note every single reference. And one of those kind of, you know, like, completist kind of nerd things. You you could do that. I think it's, I think he's got yeah. a nerd written all over it. Hey, yes, it? yeah. It really has. Yeah. And, and you're right, there is no real logic in it, but there are some beautiful little bits. There's no it. real logic, but then there is a massive logic. You know, there is there yes. is internal logic. And we just, but we can twist that logic to our own devices. Yeah. If we want the character to talk, it will talk, you know. Or if you want the, the polar bear to be next to a, a like a sunny place and it's just, the, yeah. the map where they travel for... Yeah literally days I mean that's the whole point of animation isn't yes. it yeah I guess so Alive as well that's one that's in there is Alive in there when it's the top of the mountain yeah and the sneeze it's the polar bear sneezing yeah and you the top of the mountain and it kind of pans around them on top of the mountain that to me is Alive oh okay Could, yeah but I don't know if it was might do you know kind of, they all just stand on top of this yeah. pink mountain it kind of pans around them all and then the polar bear sneezing next yeah. to yeah 100% likely to be that's that reference so bad if I'm yeah. mistaken there isn't a snowing badge. Sewing. Sewing, yes. Because yeah. it makes his caftan, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I, yeah. I, I digress with <laughs> um, So there is another side to you as well, isn't there, um, which you shouldn't focus on Dougie too much. There is another side that you do write, I say real stories, but obviously Dougie are real stories, but you have got... Non-fiction, I write non-fiction. Non-fiction. Yes. Um, the, obviously the, the prize-winning book is Swell. Yes. Which is your autobiography. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, can you know? Can I just get a prize even for just using the word water biography? Yeah, yes, I know. I know you, you love that you. word, don't you? you I do love it. I'm so smug I, because it's such a great word, and That's, I hate wordplay. If, if yeah. anybody presented wordplay to me, I'd be away with Are you. You're not a fan of puns. I'm not a fan of puns. Oh. I hate puns. In fact, I will really? go so far as to say, I mean, who likes a pun? Of They're course. an inferior form of I've comedy. Got a soft spot for okay, oh. not not from a comedy point of view. I think puns in comedy are quite. It's, yeah. It is a weak form. Yeah. Somebody said Tommy that water biography was a pun, and I went, "No, no, no. it's wordplay. It's not a pun. Yeah. Don't mess with me, mate. I know my, I know my roots in culture." I, I know, I know, yeah. hey, Dougie, I know comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, it's water biography, which is, it's not. I say it's an autobiography, isn't it? But it's kind of almost a, a feminist history. Yeah, it is definitely. Uh, of, it's not kind of using, almost. It definitely is using, a feminist history. Um, yeah. Using swimming yes. as a as a, a conduit. Not conduit's not the right word, is yeah, it? Yeah, no, it's it like, is, I think. Yeah. It's swimming is the is, tell, is the is the tell. overarching kind of uh, thing that I think. There you you've used yeah, you, you, you use conduit, I used thing, a really yeah. articulate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a writer. Yeah. Now, uh, so I suppose if you just want to explain that. And I I, I'm, I could but um, it's it's a book you. it's a book of two halves. Um I alternate telling the stories of uh, women who've made it possible for us to swim uh, with my own uh, memoir about my own story of swimming. So uh, because women started out with having no rights in in terms of swimming, uh, it's about how we fought for and gained equal rights to swim. It's about how the swimming suffragettes fought for the rights for women to swim. And alongside that, I've told my own story about how I didn't learn to swim until I was 45. uh, uh, and from from there became a cold water obsessive. Avid swimmer. Yes, yeah. An avid swimmer. Um, you've also done a book about trees, which I've not seen, but I've heard about this book. It's about out trees. of it's out of print, and I I've done two guidebooks. I've done a book to the a guide to the best trees of London, the fifty greatest. Well, they were described as the fifty greatest trees, um, which is a kind of an odd odd thing. There's I'm, so, I've got an odd look on my face. Yeah, I know I have. I there, there are there are lots of great trees in London, but somebody had dis- decided that these were the fifty best ones. It was a mixture of uh, public poll and and various other tree associations um, deciding these fifty. So I so I was I was given the fifty greatest trees and told to write about each one. So I did. I went and looked at a lot of trees, tramped across a lot of fields, and wrote and wrote about what I felt. Okay. And then I wrote a guide about the best place to swim in London, 50 best places which to swim, but I decided sense. what those were. Which makes more yeah. sense. So the tree thing, was yes. that the story of the trees or was that... Well, I tried to find something different to say about each tree. That's but you know, it's different. like finding ways to describe water. You know, as all, there's a lot of swimming writers like yeah. me and we're all kind of going, oh, it's kind of bluey green or greeny blue and then yeah. it waved a bit and the waves were big. You know, you kind of get a bit stuck with trees, yeah, like it's, the, it's bit, the, tree, the trunk yes. goes up and the branches go out. And yeah. So I tried to find something interesting to say about each tree, be a bit of history about or of the actual tree, why it was there, you know, a history. Well, there's one in Richmond Park, for instance, so I could go rabbiting on about Richmond Park. There's one on Gower Street, so I could talk about the way that streets okay. in London are laid out and French influence. And then you kind of, some of them you just go... This one's hard to love. No idea what I'm going to say, but you're, you know, something always. But they all different happens. varieties, species of tree. All... Yes, yeah. Okay. So for a while, I knew quite a lot about trees. I was quite good on trees. We have another tree about you, Dougie, have we? Ah, uh, yes. Actually, I've just written it. I'm just. <laughs> I literally, it's just gone to the BBC <laughs> as we speak to be signed off, and I had to do that because I do have a. It's I do know quite a lot about trees. Have a tree yeah. Well, it yeah. makes sense, doesn't it, with squirrels? Yeah. I guess to finally get up a tree. Yeah. Badge. Yeah. And they haven't, the swimming badge, have they had swimming? No, we haven't had swimming because it's quite an odd one to do, because uh, you have to be careful of imitable behaviour, okay. um, so you have to be really careful what you can and can't show in Dougie. There's really strict rules about, you know, what you can, what the kids can do. They can't be standing on a chair, for instance, or anything that's not. I'm just be. now racking my brains, I'm thinking about all the episodes, thinking of all the things Rowley's done. He's always but, done things that are safe, and there would always have been an adult with him. Yeah, I think, yeah, he's done things that are safe, he's just a bit of a... He's a bit of a reckless bit of a loon, isn't he? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's, I'm thinking yeah. about the... Um, he's a loose cannon, let's he's, call it. He's a loose cannon. I'm thinking about the ladybird in the in the shapes. Um, that, oh, yeah. And that still takes my breath away. Yeah. Still, I can watch it. The thing is, it's, it's raining and he has to... Roly is a rhino. Um, not a rhino, he's a hippo. hippo. He's a hippo because obviously he tags the rhino. Um, Roly's a hippo and he's a bit hapless and he's a bit daft. Uh, he's got a heart of gold, though, obviously. Yeah. Um, I am projecting this, obviously, yeah. because yeah. <laughs> there's no biography for him. 
Um, but he, he just doesn't do things quite right, does he, Rowley? He kind of doesn't really... He tries his best, though. He tries his best. And he tries to put shapes in something. And there's one where it's a ladybird. He's a ladybird, isn't he? Yes. It's raining. And there's a, a star shape and, an oval, and a kind of a half moon shape. And you don't know which one he's going to try and force the ladybird. He's going to force it. He's going to throw, like, really thump it in. And you just don't know until the last minute whether he's going to get it in the right hole or squish it. Yeah. And I can watch that over and over again. And I still don't know which one he's going to do yeah. until he's done it. Yeah. Luckily, he comes up trumps and yeah. the ladybird survives. Thank goodness. Who can talk, yeah. by the way. Uh, yeah, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, and then he gets in front of the rain, doesn't he? Yeah. Which is another film reference. But I can't like me think what it is. God, nor me. Yeah, but it's definitely one there. Yeah. It's so filmic that you kind of, yeah. you, you understand the language. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the things with Dougie that um, that stands out for adults is that language of film um, that, that people are familiar with. Yeah. Because they grow up with film. Because there's a, there's a kind of, I guess there's a hierarchy with storytelling that I've, I'm, I'm completely open about. I don't know quite which is, obviously people have their, their own preference to what their own hierarchy is. But I think some things are seen as, as, as better stories than others. And I don't know if that's necessarily right or wrong, because obviously the novel is, still stands like people want to make write the novel, and then you've got films. And obviously TV, I think, has gone up a notch, but it's always been, I always thought that TV is being slightly less important storytelling, and I don't know if that's right. I don't think it is right. I don't think it's right either, and I think things come in waves and waves and troughs, you know. I can well, remember a, a, a time in the... Right, yeah. Thank you, thank you, always on brand. Uh, I can remember in you know a time in I think it was in the nineties when cinema was really failing and you know people had stopped going to the cinema. Those weren't seen those weren't seen as really valid and interesting ways to tell stories. So I think things go in 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 and out of fashion. Um, you know, then when Kindles came out, everybody was worried that novels would cease to be That's bought, true. so those stories would cease to be important. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, you, you have the great American novel, which is always written by a man. You can't, you know, there's never going to be a great American novel written by a woman because women only write domestic stories and stories about domestic characters aren't interesting or you can't extrapolate anything from those so I think it all comes in fashions I, I think TV stories are really important because those are in people's homes you you know it's happening right in front of people's eyes in their homes in a, in, in a way that nothing else quite does so I do think they're really important so that moves us on. It doesn't move us on at all. It's just a very badly, uh, badly <laughs> segue. But no, the idea of stories, um, the idea of that hierarchy, because I, I've been thinking about the, the, um, a lot about spoken word stuff, um, and poems in general. But kind of that goes kind of goes to spoken word performances. That goes into comedy, and it's that oral tradition, which or oral tradition, I suppose, be the ways of listening and, and speaking, that we don't necessarily um, we don't necessarily do very well as a society you know books have obviously history was always told from before there was before there was work before there was writing before there was drawings there was always those words and yeah. history was passed down yeah so you look at indigenous cultures and they pass them down through stories a lot of their you know things like the aborigines in australia it's all about dream time it's all a story it wasn't written down and obviously since writing came in then this is this kind of um it almost feels like it's it's not badged as important but to me yeah I think sorry to interrupt you there but I think that's that completely depends on where you sit culturally I think yeah. if you sit in an out slight outsider culture it's it was really important because writing was and is seen as something that was quite exclusive and I think for instance if you were a, a, a Celt um, or uh, uh, you know some somewhere that that, that that kind of sat slightly outside of uh, of white middle class culture then oral storytelling still remained really important because uh, writing and writing things down um, was was a was an exclusive activity actually it's, it wasn't an inclusive one it was an exclusive one yeah so, absolutely absolutely and I, the, my, my point is it was no, I agree with you totally but it's um, and I probably badly worded I'm just must just whittering along but the um, the idea that now it's because we we're kind of going back to that I think there's more realisation that actually those things are more important I think for a long time, because it was seen as if you weren't part of the the the, the people who can read or write, the, the, the kind of middle classes, then you were kind of ignored a bit. Yeah. And so you had that right up until, and you still see, don't you? People, um, people's work, like TV dramas, are great at it, like Boys in the Black stuff and all that. It's all about that kind of underclass, which which didn't have the luxury of the novels. Yeah. And it was all about that. So, because your background, your upbringing. You were in the Midlands. Yeah. 
Now, I know you're in a bit of quite a posh part of the Midlands. Sutton Coalfield. It's quite a posh part of the Midlands. It is quite posh. Um, but I don't, do you know, it's, uh, I, I'm not posh. We weren't posh. But we, of course, were by, lo- by lots of people's comparison. Both my parents went to university and my father was a, was a, a dentist, although not in the way that you might think. I mean, he worked his last job. He was the dentist for a local car factory um, because he'd had some illness and so couldn't run a practice or anything. So both my parents worked... Um, in, in professions so yeah. <clears throat> I was middle class but we never had money you know so it's a really it's a really weird one we, ne- we, we never went on holiday abroad we had a, a car that was falling apart we I said I, w- I was talking to somebody the other day and I said we lived in a red bill culture and she said what's a red bill and I said uh oh okay you okay it's uh when you get the bill that you haven't paid the bill and you get the final warning bill she went well what does it look like I thought oh god I it, I've, I, I was, don't know anyone that doesn't yeah. know what Red Bull looks well, like. It, I just have to say that right Yeah, now. I just found it really odd. I said, I said oh, okay, it, it's just the bill, only everything's in red. So it arrives and you see it and you go, oh, Christ, Red Bill. And she went, oh, I've, ne- I've never seen one of those. And I thought this this to me was so much, I mean, it, it makes me feel quite you know, emotional that she, she'd li- lived a life of such privilege. And I have too, to loads of extents, you know. Yeah. But actually... We were middle class in terms of our education, but not in terms of our income. Um, I, I think that's, I mean, you were of an age, um, a little bit older than me, because um, I, what I love doing now, much to the chagrin of, of everyone around me, is like watching things like um, whatever happened to the Lightly Lads. Oh my God, that's such a brilliant series because, though. Because, because, and, and not only is the writing absolutely fantastic, not only is the performance brilliant, but the scenes filmed in things like Tesco. Yeah. Before Tesco was this kind of Uber brand, it yeah. was like a stack of high seven cheap cardboard boxes. Yeah. Making Aldi look like Harrods. Yeah. And people don't remember these things, and it's kind of like it's it 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 it's that kind of aspirational, which you, I kind of you guess you had because my parents were very much of that. We had they were professional, they went to university, but we weren't well off. Yeah. And we had a car. We had a nice Maxi. I remember it well. MUE five six one P. Beautiful, beautiful car. Um, fell apart, obviously, because it was a maxi. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't have... I remember shopping at, like, discount supermarkets and stuff, as they were then. They weren't like they are now. Um, but, you know, we tried to save money and things because we weren't that well off, even though we were middle class. Um, everyone would have said, oh, you're middle class. There's a kind of deception to it, though, because, you know, people kind of assumed assumed we were wealthy or not wealthy but kind of doing all right and we did do all right you know you never never felt like oh my god we're so poor but at the same time we we did a supermarket shop once a week and if things ran out they ran out fuck it you know it's gone well supermarket closed at five o'clock so are you going to get into anyway yeah Yeah, but also things you know then things happened like god i can really remember clearly when finder's crispy pancakes came out this sounds so ridiculous but there's no way my my mother could have afforded to feed a family of six Finder's crispy pancakes because you'd get a box of them and you'd open them out and you go, oh, okay, but I need at least four of those to fill <laughs> full up because they're tiny. And so you, but she could never have bought like 24 crispy no. pancakes. She just, it just wouldn't have been in the household budget. So we'd have liver and onions instead, you know, and think, oh, damn it, I wish... I wish yeah. we lived in this life. There are some um, breadcrumbs of those. Yeah, and my friend Julie DeSola did live in that life. She was American, and um, oh my God, they had a big freezer with different flavors ice cream in it. And that, that work? And that, to me, was just like, this is the future. This is what, like, you could have two flavours of ice cream in your freezer. Yeah, but you are now living that future. I'm in that, I'm, <laughs> I, I've got so much ice cream in my freezer, you I, wouldn't believe. I buy the ice cream, it doesn't, doesn't yeah. last very long, <laughs> uh, sadly. So I would, the, the reason I, I reference the, the child, I don't know if, if um, and it's because I'm, I'm from the Midlands background as well. Which bit? Wolverhampton. Oh, okay. There was, um, there was always a kind of a tradition of storytelling that I was aware of. I wasn't ever part of it, as in like the Anakin and Ali and that kind of, like those kind of very vernacular, it's all about, you know, the Midlands. But I was always aware that there was there was that kind of history there. And it's just weird, I didn't know whether, kind of the same with you, that you were aware of those kind of storytelling, like, like the, um, the jokes, as it were, all the jokes, they were all about stories, they weren't one-liners. No, we missed, uh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, but that kind of really passed me by in Sutton Coalfield. I think, 
I think that's posh Sutton Colford. It's posh Sutton Colford. I mean, there were what was really important to to the people of Sutton Colford was the story of Sutton Colford, and they would tell that over and over. You know, but my parents belonged to amateur dramatics, so the way that so that was the kind of storytelling that they were interested in was other telling other people's stories, not about their own. But I did go and see many every year. There was a play about the history of Sutton Colford that we. (laughs) So that's yes, that story was told. But it didn't feel like that created a nation of, you know, or a community of storytellers. Well, you, you must be aware that you came from that background. Now, looking back, that background is, your parents are amateur dramatics. And, oh, it's really hugely important to me. Hugely important. I mean, I went off to do drama at uni because of it, uh, you know. So, yes, it's... But it, that's kind of not telling your own story, is it? That's performing other people's. But, yes, yeah, still about telling story. Yeah, but, but I mean, um, there's, there's, there's very few people who manage to tell their own stories. Yeah. I think the people use, um, and as we, we spoke before we started about Daniel Kitson, the marvellous Daniel Kitson, oh, yeah. who we all love dearly. Um, and he's very, very good at telling stories and using, and if you listen to his, his not, not only his comedy, but his, his kind of theatre pieces, he has his own, he introduces his own life into them by telling another story. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes. So the framework of all the references are from his own life. Yeah. And I wonder if that is kind of what, that is the way of telling your own stories by telling other people's stories. I think that's definitely, I think that's definitely, uh, that's, I mean, all through Swell, for instance, I told other people's stories and, and then kind of linked into sto- stories of my own because I was also raised uh, in a household, I was raised in a Catholic household so to do anything that aggrandised your own experience was really frowned on. Um, to talk about yourself would be a horribly vain thing to do. Uh, to offer, you know, to find interest in your own life would be a really negative thing to do. Is that a Catholic thing or just a British thing, do you think? Uh, I think the Catholics are just really good at it. <laughs> Maybe we just take that skill and absolutely hone it to the... Squeeze it there. So, you know, if you wanted to... So in this, it's a kind of strange mix of... Uh, don't ever show off. Don't show off. But then uh, go and do drama, which is all about showing off. So there's a kind of, you know, way in which those things <laughs> entirely cancel each other out and you're left at this flat puddle of thinking, I don't, I don't know, can I talk about my own experience? Or can't I? I'm not, I'm not really sure. So it kind of takes, for, for me personally, it's taken quite a long time to think, actually, it's okay to talk about yourself. It's okay to put yourself in, in your own experience and your own interpretation of these things, to put your own jokes or whatever they might be onto onto somebody else's story or to extrapolate onto yourself uh, it's taken me a, a lot of years to have the confidence to come out and do that so is that kind of do you think that was in tandem with the swimming as well like you learned to swim obviously in your 40s do you think that that was kind of that when you obviously started writing swell was that a realization that you could do that or was that Actually, actually, when I first started, because I've worked as a as an editor and a script editor and a development producer and whatever you know in telly and performance whatever for a long time, I always was. Uh, I spent a, my working career enabling other people to to get their work into a better state. But when I started, I wanted to write, and I and I thought. Um, I started writing a blog, you know, like people did in the in the early yes. noughties. I, yeah. I started to write a blog, um, and I started to write reviews of swimming pools uh, that I visited. So I kind of uh, just started doing this thing. It's, I mean, it's how my whole career has as a as a writer has happened was by writing this blog and putting it on Twitter. The, you know, when Twitter started, I put my blog out. So yes, swimming directly has a kind of correlation into how I started to tell stories because that's how that's what made me think I'm gonna I'm gonna I want to do something of my own. I know I'll review swimming pools because nobody's done it. Um, so that's what I started doing and I had really really good fun and people liked the way I wrote and so on it went from there. You're quite a twitter, aren't you? Yeah. Or as I like to call it a twatter. I am yeah. a twat. Yeah. You like to twat yeah, a lot. I do. Um, I try um, really hard not to, but then I can't. Well, I know, and that, you're quite, I wouldn't say critical, but you, you don't hold back on some of those, do you? Oh, well, was, why would you, honestly? Well, I don't know. Cause I, I mean, always, I suppose professionally, that's why you should. Well, but. I don't know, because I was, I was, I was obviously, I was second screening, as I believe they call it. Yeah. I was watching TV, and I was, I, was, I was watching Twitter at the same time. It was a particular episode of a, of a comedy series that was um, on BBC Two, written by two people. It was Inside Number Nine. And there was one episode, and you ripped it, not ripped it, but you just did a single tweet, you were just like, 
quite dismissive and I, I think that it was it took me back a bit to be honest because I'm always a bit shocked when people are honest on Twitter I don't know what that is do you know what I, I, I try really hard with comedy stuff not to diss it because I really am aware you know that that's people's love and their passion I really do try but then every now and again it just slips out and I think if, it, if that had been a new show or people who weren't didn't have lots of experience I'd be I'd really hold back I've said things in the past that I kind of regret I've I've slagged shows off that I haven't liked and it's been new performers or and I think actually now I probably wouldn't do that but I think they can cope now well, to with, be honest, with my was, dislike it, it, it was the worst episode in the series oh like... my god there's no good episodes in that series oh. okay I'm gonna really shut up now because that's the way to get everybody just to start throwing things at me because I well, just no, you don't have to there's the thing about the, the thing about comedy is it's it's um it's a very subjective thing. It's yeah. a very divisive thing. Yeah. And, and some people really love... I mean, for God's sake, Michael McIntyre sells out stadiums. And I, I, how does that happen? I, don't, I haven't got a clue how he... I don't know. Mrs. Brown's boy is still... I don't know. Yeah. They do. So I'm coming at a, a, um, from a comedy side that doesn't quite understand the mainstream. Yeah. So I don't get that. Yeah. Um, is Inside Number 9 mainstream, though? I don't think well, it Well, I don't think it is, is mainstream. I think it tries what, to pitch itself... But my, my, my point is that, yeah. you know... It, People, some people like things, some people don't. Yeah, true. And there's no reason why you have to like that. And yeah. I think a lot of um, things like the other side number nine and all that, because of the League of Gentlemen, I think it goes like if you like League of Gentlemen, then you probably like yeah. all the things they do. And I think you kind of get lumped in with that. And it is, I don't like League of Gentlemen either. Though. Well, there, there I'm, I'm being so really brave now. I'm kind of like, hey, I'm coming out as a, <laughs> I'm coming out as a hater. <laughs> not, oh, not a hater. Well, then, actually, I'm coming out to. as an ignorer. I'm going to ignore it. It's not the kind of comedy I like. I know, I, I know what I like. And that isn't it. Yeah. So. I've recently like I don't have to watch yeah. things that I don't like. Derry Girls, I loved it. It, okay. it spoke to me. It had something fresh and original to say. It was funny. It had a great soundtrack. Okay. It was political. It was personal. The characters were great. I loved it. So. That to me is great comedy. So without, I mean, without labelling things, do you, are you kind of, because of, of Swell was, had that kind of feminist side yeah. to it. And you are um, obviously kind of uh, kind of proud feminist. So unapologetic say, feminist. Unapologetic, I was described as the right, other day, and I, I kind of like the idea that there might be an apologetic feminist somewhere going, oh, "I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry for wanting equality. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind terribly if we? Yeah. yeah. So sorry. Do you want to come and make a bed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make some scones. Uh, so unapologetic. So do you think it's, uh, it's something like that? That the fact that it's four men writing that actually, if you're a man writing, it's <sighs> And you and like I said, you you're bringing in your frame of existence to 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 inform a story. How, and you were saying about the, the great American novel, obviously you know usually written by a man or you know. It's some of my be, some of my best friends are men, so I'm not you know I'm not a misandrist. I do and I like loads of stuff that's produced and made by men, loads of it. But but, but certainly I think some guys are crap at writing women, or come at something with a misogynistic angle that maybe they don't even realise. Yeah. You know, so that the women are always the butt of the joke, or that it's always about some, how somebody looks, or the women are the weaker characters, or they don't really have any integral plot points to make, or, you know. And I do think I notice that stuff, and I've noticed that more and more as I get older. And also, probably because I have a teenage daughter, and you'd ca- I kind of hoped things would be better for her. And in some ways, yeah. they are, but in some ways, they're awfully not. So I would certainly say I look at things from a feminist perspective because I think that's part of who I am. Uh, if I see something that I think is mis- misogynistic or sexist, I don't kind of. I just kind of go, "Oh, you! I'm, I'm off. I'm out here. I'm, I'm switched off from that." I don't really excuse it or apologise for it, or I just don't buy into that anymore because it turns me off. I think, well, this isn't this isn't for me, so I'm not sticking around. So, you know, I just tend to stick with things that are more uh, able to ex- express things for women more in a more equal way. So it brings us back to Hey Dougie. Yay! Because as we all know... Um, Brilliant circular conversation. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, there are a couple of um, strong female leads in Hey Dougie. Yes. Say. Betty, who... She's a bit OTT, isn't she? Well, you she's, say that. That's very sexist of you I, to say I that, know, actually. Because if she I, was a guy, you wouldn't is. notice well, it. Well, I love octopus. Octopus yeah. is octopodes. Octopi. octopodes. It's from the group. Oh, okay. Oh, I watch QI. Okay. I know stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's my one fact from QI. Actually, I love QI now because Sandy Toxic is such a great host. Sandy's doing it. Yeah. Um, 
So anyway, so Octopus, and she's a, she's an octopus, and yeah. I'm a massive cephalopod fan, uh, yeah. as, as, as anyone will tell you. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, because no one else is really going to know that. Yeah. But I, I love them all, squids, cuttlefish, a lot of them. But, so I should be predisposed to like her, and I do yeah. like her in a way, yeah. but I, I think the big thing is the way she kind of condescends to Rowley that I'm just like... You've over-identified with Rowley, you think need I to step have. back. You it's need like, to step back. We've found, I found a stick. Yeah, we've all found sticks, Rowley. Yeah. That was the exact line. It's yeah. like, all right, okay. he's doing his best. Yeah. yeah. And he's found one of the sea So I'm a little bit kind of, yeah. you know, yeah. So It's a really interesting one. Betty is the character that knows everything. She but knows. the thing is, she does actually know everything. And she reads a lot. And so she reads a lot. And she's really bright and really smart. And stuff. what we are very keen to, uh, to to not say is that that Betty, we never say in a script is that Betty is bossy because that's such a word that's given to girls and not to boys. So Betty just yeah. knows a lot and sometimes she isn't as patient as she might be. But then, fuck it. Why should she, why should girls be patient when boys are being stupid? Yeah. You know that's the, that's the message there. He's a bit stupid sometimes, isn't he? Well, we're all a bit stupid he sometimes. Is. He gets, he's, he gets he's obsessed with quite, water. Yeah, he's not quite there. He's not quite, <laughs> put a puddle of water in front you know, of him and a glass of water. But I feel the same, just, so well, I don't I can identify it. with that. So it. I think maybe there's more to play here. The, the oh, there's a lot. Water oh, thing. Yeah. I've never I've never joined those dots before, yeah. but actually, yeah. his obsession with water. Yeah. So you identify more as a crocodile. Yeah, totally. No, that's, yeah. that's all very good. And also, I like it. You know, I'll snap if you get too close. Well, so there yeah, you go. I like that. That's <laughs> wordplay. I believe yeah, that's wordplay. Thank, word you, thank you. Not a pun, though. Not no. a pun. No. So, um, growing up, yeah. what, if I said to you, what story do you remember the most, or the first story you remember? Actually, the stories I remember are theatre stories. I really remember because me and my sisters used to put on plays. So I would remember. Oh, okay. But also, I used to read like avidly I would read two or three books in a day you know we used to run a little library from our uh, one of our bedrooms where all the children in the neighbourhood could come and borrow books and we'd stamp them we're so officious and unpleasant as children it's okay, really okay. dreadful let me stop you there that sounds like the best thing ever oh you know why yeah. just because you get to make the library cards well you make the library cards you stamp the books in and out you go and tell to people uh, you haven't bought your book back that's two pence you owe me because and then they go, oh my God, I owe her two pence. You see, libraries, for those people who are listening under the age of, I don't know, about 30, probably won't remember that you had a ticket. You had, oh, um, yeah. the, the actual stamp was a real stamp. It oh, wasn't a real just stamp. A oh, no, it's a real stamp with the date on. And going to the library, yeah. it was just a, it was kind of a, I want to say spiritual, because that's probably a bit OTT. But there was something very reverential around it about yeah. it. And I remember going into Wolverhampton Library and you go to the right, you go to the left and that was the kids section. Or my dad would go to the right because there were the records room yeah. there. And getting records from yes, the my dad used to borrow records from the library. Yeah, yeah and also, tape, but let's not worry about that. Just yeah, <laughs> but also, I mean, this is part part of why I love libraries, and I think partly because it's the same reason I love public swimming pools. It's all about public communal space and how how the people who use it uh, use it and what it means to them. And I think libraries mean a huge amount to people because they represent such a lot of stuff in the same way their swimming pools do. You know, we've got so many memories and stories mm. all tied up in these buildings. Um, my local library was Sutton Coalfield Library, although I used to sign out when I was at school. I used to sign out of double PE saying I was going to Wild Green Library, which didn't exist at the time. So I used to go to the park and smoke a lot of dope. But <laughs> anyway, we and really digress. Well, some of those things, anyway. Yeah. Um, the one with the panda. What was the panda called? I remember the Choo Choo. Choo that yeah. was it. A voice by the brilliant yes. Lucy Montgomery, who's yeah. now moved to LA, sadly. So, um, oh, really? yeah. So well, not sadly for her. I mean, well, no, it's Choo Choo, they're not, not going to feature. We don't, uh, we, Choo Choo does still feature. Lucy good. is here sometimes, so yeah, but she's known in LA. Good, good, but, good. Yeah. That's good. So you used to run the, you used to run the library from, from I the used bedroom. to run the library from the bedroom with my sisters. We uh, would organise everybody to come and borrow books. Very good if you are quite, I'm not, try not to say bossy, an organiser, if you're an organiser. Yes. I did the admin for the library, uh, which meant... Did you have your own Dewey Decimal System? Yeah, <laughs> we didn't go that quite that far. So I remember, I remember lots of stories, Honey Bunch and Norman. I remember, oh, Jennings. I, oh, my God, I love Jennings with a passion. Uh, Professor Brainstorm, um, uh, all the Chalet Girl stories, all the school stories, Angela Brazil stories, uh, Little Women... Uh, one of the best books of all time. Okay. Uh, ballet Shoes, Noel Streckfield Ballet Shoes, although my sister liked that more because she did ballet. You know, I, I'm aware now I'm kind of just gabbling the names of books. That's but, fine, that's fine. Um, it's yeah, almost like being on book shambles. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably yeah. out of the bag and stop yes. talking about them. Um, but those, were, those books were, I've still got some of those around in the, in the house now. Those books to me were everything I, and also in, 
that was in the day when you'd read a book five times yeah. in a week if you wanted yeah. to. So I read Jennings books time over. But children still have it, don't they? Because children still have that. I mean, I was a big um, fan, uh, and I still am of Dr. Seuss, and I know that there's since been reframed in certain things. I had a conversation only the other day about the reframing of certain aspects of Dr. Seuss. Yeah. The illustrations and, and, and to be understood as a time and place. But uh, when I was, well, obviously, when you're too young to understand that or to, uh, to have that frame of reference, just the, word, just the words themselves and the illustrations and, and the, the pictures. And I could read those endlessly, and I still do to my boys. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, so but reading Dr. Seuss out loud is such, yeah, yeah. oh, that's such a pleasure. Well, you have to read them out loud. You yeah. can't read them to yourself because it just doesn't. Do you do that sense. thing, though, that you try and you kind of do all the accents, you do all the voices, you, but if you make a mistake, it's like, oh, yeah, you have today. to do it in one take. Yeah, you have, you have to do it as fast as you take. can. Yeah. And you can't make Word perfect. Mistakes. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Or else you go back and do it again. Yeah. Much to the yeah. <laughs> three-year-old line there going, for Christ, <laughs> I just want <laughs> yeah. to sleep. No, 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 we've got to do no, cat listen, and hat again. It's in a fox with a box. Oh, no, 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 it's in with a box in a fox. <laughs> yeah. No, look, I'm going to get this. So, yeah, um, so obviously children still have that. Um, I remember um, being read Magic Faraway True. Oh, yes. Which... which I used to love, yeah, there was that a was lot bonkers. of Enid Blyton that... But that was bonkers, yeah, was I mean, bonkers. that was Enid Blyton, because yeah. obviously she did yeah. the Famous Five and all that, which are just a bit kind of mundane, but that was proper. I love the Famous Five, though. But it's not and the Secret bonkers, Seven. is it, as, as, as Faraway Tree? No, Faraway Tree is a bit, it's a bit magic realism, which I'm not a fan yeah. of now as an adult, so maybe... I think Enid Blyton was probably smoking a lot of dope in the park yeah. somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Kind of with Mr. Wishy-Washy and... Allegedly, different. I think. <laughs> Allegedly. Well, I think she's probably dead now. I think you're all right, yeah. I'm sure she's got serious about that one. So, yeah, that was your first experience with stories that you yes. can really recall. And also, my mum was an English teacher. So, ah. you know, there was a lot of books in our house. And and because we did plays, there was also a lot of plays and going to see plays and all that. We did Rumpelstiltskin, you know, and the neighbours would come and we'd make programmes and we had some sliding doors and we'd open the sliding doors and there we'd be. I mean, terrible. Imagine putting your neighbours through that. I'm, Horrendous. I'm just, I just want to be a little union. Yeah. This is making library cards yeah. and putting on performances yeah. the sliding door. Yeah. But I, we got to do Rumpelstiltskin. I uh, have three sisters and uh, they were all beautiful golden-haired children and I was like the devil in comparison. So I got to play, because I was a kind of, I had dark a little dark, badly cut bowl of a haircut. And they were these three golden-haired flaxen children. So uh, I got to play Rumpelstiltskin, which That's of right. course, That's of right. course now I know yeah. that. Yeah. But at the time I thought, oh, I really want to be the princess. But no, I got the laughs. But the bad so, guys are always the best boy. Yeah. The best. I, was, yeah. I got the laughs. I learned aged four, the joy of getting a laugh. So. Do you know what? I'm, I, I really don't want to reference Ken Dodd. Um, because I'm not his biggest fan. I know he's just passed away, and everyone's eulogising about Ken Dodd. But he did say something. There's a quote. He said he just wants to. He just. I just like making people laugh. Yeah. I think he's pretty much as fundamental as that, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I know to boil it down, without the science, because obviously when you do comedy, there's a lot of mechanics behind comedy, and and you have people like Stuart Lee who deconstruct it on stage in front of you, and they do it. And also Daniel Kitson when he does his comedy, yeah. he says, "Oh, you know, that's a you know, that's a callback there. You can spot it." Like he does those yeah. things. He explains it as he goes. But, you know, ultimately it's about making people laugh. Yeah. Um, which is probably why Mrs. Brown Boy is successful. I don't know what makes people laugh, obviously, because... You, my, know. you know, I know people, I know people not not my generation, old, slightly older people that find that hilarious and brilliant. You don't. I do. My you mother still talk to them? My mother-in-law. Seriously? And she should, she should know oh, better. Oh, my word. Yeah. Um, but, you know... She definitely should. Yeah. Her son is a, is a, is a comedian. Yeah, so, I'm married yeah. to a comedian, so that's, you know, so, yeah... She should know better, but there, there you go. There's no accounting for taste of what your progeny will. I'm a little bit. I just I don't I know, know what to make of that. Yeah. I don't know what to take that. <laughs> um, so yeah, but it's about making people laugh, which is yeah. obviously what comes back to yeah. the Hey Dougie. Um, and obviously your your the swell your autobiography is is kind of I won't say whimsical because that's a little bit. It sounds a bit. It sounds, it sounds a bit fade, doesn't it? Whimsical. It does whimsical, but it's. A I hope it's just funny, of, actually. Well, it is funny, but know. it's not. It's not. It's not a comedy book, is it? No, it's, but it's I do. A book no, that it's makes not. you smile. No when you're reading it yeah. because it, you've got, it's, it's recognition it's yeah. lots of things in there because obviously as you said before uh, you've said previously it's like we, we all think we know how to swim yeah. because we've all been in water and even if it's as a little kid in the bath when you were kind of like you know just floating around when bathtubs were small enough so you to actually feel like you were floating around yeah. as opposed to squeezing into them now um, we've, all got, we've all got that relationship with water we've all got the relationship with, with swimming as we see it as swimming so it's kind of like you, you, there's a, there's recognition in there, isn't there? Uh, when you're reading it, it's kind of you know. I think rec- yes, recognition of the of the specific swimming uh, experience 
or the, the general swimming experience, but and probably also recognition for women about my experience as a woman, and probably generational experience because I was raised in the 60s and 70s. So that you know, so my musical references tend to be uh, Slade and David Cassidy rather than uh, you know a totally really uncool uh, musical heritage. I'm from, I'm from the Midlands. Early you know. Slade, I tell you what, oh. it's, it's brilliant. Me and my friend Julie Desola used to go, uh, used to know where the American with yeah. the two kinds of ice, ice cream. cream. She knew where Noddy Holder lived because he lived in uh, Four Oaks. And um, so we used to go and have a little look outside his house. He was never there, but he had a very nice big house. Yeah, he did. We, we were kind of like early paparazzi with no cameras or anything. We just kind of stood there and went, oh, a house. And then went so off again. So you understood obviously when they take that phenomenon and all that. Oh, you totally you understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah travel down yeah, from Derby yeah. or somewhere. And then once I went to BRMB Radio to get Robert Plants. Yeah, um, Yeah. To get Robert Plant's uh, what signature autograph, autograph, and I, I laminated the bit of I, or I, got, I didn't laminate it because we didn't have those sticky back sticky plastic, plastic yeah, yeah. on the on the autograph. It's lamination. That's what it was yeah. in those days. Yeah. <laughs> so no, there was no bubbles. Yeah, oh, of course, yes. The ruler or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, it's fine. Yes. exciting. No, 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 this is this is what life's all about, isn't it? This yeah. is the moments of life. Yeah. There's nothing more pleasurable yeah. than covering a book in sticky back plastic. Oh, if you get it right, and getting it right, oh getting the corners God. so yeah. it folds round. Yeah, the there's wrapping no, paper. You get the wrapping uh, paper, and then you get the sticky back on top of that. It's, and there's no bubbles. I tell you, that's a lost art. Yeah, yeah, kids, kids today, kids cook. Kids today. Tell you what they should do: bring back national service. No, yeah. not, not national service. Just bring back covering books. Just being, actually, my daughter did have to cover some books when she was at school, and I got great pleasure out of that, laying out the sticky back plastic the right size, did you do and it? scoring did it you right. Do it I helped her with it. I did it was, my sons. It's a pleasurable activity. <laughs> you know, it's crafting. They call yeah. it crafting these days, yeah. don't they? I had to print out photos at work. I had to cut them out. Yeah. I had to stick them on. That to cover the sticky back plastic. Nice. Just nice. for him to take in his folders. Yeah, nice. And I, 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 yeah. did, it, I did it willingly because yeah. I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> yeah. We've probably got some sticky back plastic in a cupboard he, somewhere. We can just thought, randomly <laughs> cover something. You've got any pictures of uh, like yeah. rolling up and just yeah. <laughs> laminate them little badge. Yeah. Um, of course, I am buying the comic, which is a blatant yeah. marketing trick. Of course. Just to get adults to go, oh, look, yeah. I've got a little stick with a roll yeah. on there. Um, which All things know. are blatant. All things are marketing. Although it's not actually marketed that much, is it? It's not too bad, no. Actually, we keep a I, uh, studio, aka who who make the show, keep a really tight rein on it because you don't want you don't want shit stuff associated with it. So everything that comes out is really nice, got really good quality. Very hard to find, though. Really hard to find. Yeah, that's good though. Um, you know, I really want. Don't you want a pair of uh, Hey Doggy uh, a swimsuit, a Hey Doggy swimsuit? I really want it, well, but it's for either. children who are two to four. Oh, there is one. Yeah, there is one. Surely they can knock you at one, can't they? You'd think. Don't they know who you are? Yeah. <laughs> Just go ahead dear, and demand. Dear Sainsbury's or whoever. Or, yeah, whoever it is. So um, those, are, those are your stories you remember. Just yeah. going back. Um, yeah, you're very good. You're keeping a, a keeping hold a mental, on this. A mental yeah. tower. Um, so what's what's your favourite story? I mean, okay. So let me let me rephrase that and re, um, reframe it. What's your favourite storytelling medium? The novel. Oh, okay. Is it the novel though? Okay, I don't have one. I'm not a, this is my top 10 list. I'm not a, you know, when I'm at the cinema watching a film, I love nothing more. When I'm at the theatre, I love going to the theatre. When I'm reading a novel, I love a great novel. I'm reading a great novel at the moment. I'm so into it, really enjoying it. I know I'll sit and have my lunch and I'll read. So I tend to be a bit of a forward thinking, you know, I've never looked back, always look forward. Whatever I'm doing at the time is the thing I enjoy most of the time. So um, I love all forms of it. That's probably not going to help you ticking your no, no, spreadsheet no, that's boxes, fine. That's absolutely, I don't do spreadsheets yeah. <laughs> oh I don't no. ask anyone I can't do but it but you know if you're at the theatre watching a great story there's nothing in that moment that quite beats it no absolutely not I totally agree and the same with the cinema as well yeah and or you, a good you, hour stand up you know or you know yeah. something that's totally so going to see Daniel Kitson for instance tell a story and laughing and crying and yeah. wanting to hear that story immediately again. I went to see him do a four-hour thing and thought, oh, oh, do you know, that feels too short. I want to sit for another couple of hours. That's um, when it really really pulls you in, doesn't it? It yeah, really engrosses that, you. And you just, just, just that there, oh you God. hang on every word, yeah. and you really believe in those characters and the, those, those yeah. stories you tell. And when you're in that moment, the thought of then reading a book feels really second-rate. But when you're in trapped in a book, this feels nothing like that. So for me... I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I have a favourite mode of it. I would certainly never be without a book. 
But if somebody offers me the chance to go and see something at the theatre, I always say yes. And even bad theatre, I really enjoy, you know, so... So you wouldn't choose one storytelling form over another? No, I really wouldn't. It's basically just... It's like saying if you only had to eat one form of food forever, and then you go, oh, okay, definitely Italian, and then think, oh, but hang on, what about Thai food? You know, I've had Japanese, I've had that already. Okay. (laughs) I've already thought long and hard about that. Yeah, but you're missing out a lot of great antipasti well, so you know, you know. but you know that's the choices you make isn't it those, those are the breaks you know you've, you've got to pin your, you know, pin your colours to yeah. the mask to throw your hat in the political arena I'm going Japanese but I don't have to do that with storytelling I can no. I'll, I'll have a bit of everything thanks so yeah I'll, you know there's I, I've just started to do a bit of kind of speaking because I talk about my book and there's nothing I'm really thoroughly loving that buzz when you say something on a stage talking about a very dry swimming book haha and people laugh, and it, you know that feels. You're going back to being four again, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Were you dressed as Rumpelstiltskin at the time? Yeah, I should be, shouldn't I? I might do that next time. We could just tie it all together. A little kind of felt thing with zigzag bottom and green tights. I'll be, I'll be away. Yeah. If you could be Dougie dressed as Rumpelstiltskin, oh, tell your story about swear. I'll tell you. Wait till you see the Amdram Dougie episode. <laughs> I did like the uh, the South African. Well, oh yeah, the uh, the squirrels that weren't squirrels, but they were. I can't remember what yeah. they were called. Yeah, it was making friends or something yes. like that, wasn't it? Yes. Hey, Dougie, come yeah. have a cup of tea, Dougie. Yeah. Over there, and uh, the lucky goose is just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a reference to a Hey Dougie episode that you may not have seen, but if you haven't, you really should. Uh, you should watch them all. Yeah. I'd recommend everybody watches Hey Dougie. Yeah, me too. And I have no no uh, stake in it whatsoever. No well, I kind of do. But I don't get paid a penny for every time <laughs> no. people do, but please Any do. Reference. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got no no um, special uh, bent towards any particular no. storytelling. Not really, because also because I've kind of you know grown up with all with all of them. So no. But do you have a favourite story? That's a really hard one. No, I would say no. I don't. I've got certain books that have been with me, actually, and then I probably because I've got books that have been with me rather than films, or uh, probably that means that those are that's my favourite medium. But um, so I've got books that I that have been with me, like Ragged Trousers of Philanthropist that I read in my twenties and uh, was the greatest thing ever. The Crimson Petal and the White is one of my best stories of all time. You know, great big kind of epic sagas. So. Um, I, 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 those are books that I constantly push on people um, but I don't know that I have a favourite story as it were so it would feel that, that probably novels are the, the overriding one because they're easiest to pass to people aren't they? they're easy to say read this yes it's very hard to you can recommend a theatre you can say go and see that but because of the transient nature of it it's easier to say have, a, have this book. Well, also, you can, you can flick through a book and find a line that means something particular yeah. and go, this this is the line where I discovered this, that, or the other about myself, or, you know, you can revisit them much more readily. Although I tend not to these days, because I always think, like, ah, oh, there's so, so much, much new to read. I can't so be much. I can't be hanging around rereading yeah, Ragged Trouser Philanthropist. I have to continue going to Amazon and empty my basket and put it into safe for later. Yeah. Because there's another five or six books that I know I would never buy well if I did buy I'd probably never get around to read it yeah and also I'm a bit zeitgeisty and if you're on Twitter and I, you know, I follow quite a lot of writers on Twitter and then you'll see something bubbling up as the new thing you think oh, I've got to read that because then I've got to be part of this conversation I want to feel included in yeah. you know I've got total fear of missing out you know I want to I want to read this because everybody's reading that I want to it, be part of that gang isn't that Twitter in general that, that fear of missing out yeah totally like yeah. you have to keep updating because there's five new tweets you go, oh there might yeah. be something in there oh, I, I might need have to, a I notification to, I might I need to yeah. see that yeah. um, of course Twitter I suppose in itself I well, know it's 180 or whatever it's now it's, it was 240 yeah, no, that's to, yeah. Um, although I, I, str- I try really hard to stick still to, to the smaller thing yeah, it's not that's my really, training you know it's not really <laughs> anal to do that because I do that as well yeah. I'm like oh, I don't need 280 yeah. I'm just fine with 140 yeah. thank you very much and also it's, we've, you know I trained for years at the coalface of Twitter getting the 140 yeah. just right there's no way I'm just <laughs> yeah. going to like oh mate what do you mean I can just double it pass me a piss or something I'm two characters over yeah <laughs> so um, but that's kind of a in itself isn't it I digress slightly but that that is it's quite a good storytelling the Twitter itself because yes. you've got those little kind of nuggets those little just elements of a story that you can put out there yes and I've seen people do storytelling brilliantly there's people who do proper horror stories on Twitter and you know scary stories and ghost stories and whatever who properly use the medium and you you know you're left hanging while they 
do something and you're not quite sure what because you you know they kind of set it up as a as a real thing and of course it's not and but it's a you know it's a real people it use medium, it very it? cleverly it is uh, media yeah it is the same way that I suppose TV films yeah. magazines books yeah. etc are uh, you know it's an ephemeral kind of throw it away kind of medium but yes well if you're good at say it, that then. because they do hang around there you think of them as ephemeral but um, but they're ephemeral to the consumer find. you know to yeah. me consuming it I go oh that's a great ghost story gone it's out of my brain I'm onto something else I quite like Twitter to kind of self-destruct after like 36 hours or 48 hours oh. and so for, those... for some of the embarrassing things I've tweeted well, in the past <laughs> I definitely would like that but if you kind of make it a little bit more kind of like mind you saying that I probably would be even more of a panic for missing things yes but I'd also you'd also get people being I mean you know god I've seen some some of the abuse that people get Ah, oh, it's really absolutely awful and terrible, and it's really actually not funny at well, all. Like so it's writing about comedy and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. So actually, if it was a medium that self-destructed, I think people would. You Probably know, there's always going to be people that will spoil it. Uh, well, there are, aren't there? It seems to be kind of. Um, I, I mean, without getting political, it does seem to be a climate at the moment which allows people to just. Uh, Full of hatred and violence. People are in their Nazi phase. Yeah, and uh, it's not something I'm, I'm looking enjoying. forward to them growing out of it. Well, yeah, yeah. You, hope, you hope. I hope it's a cyclical thing. And I remember in the eighties where there was that kind of rise of the right wing, and and it kind of got beat down quite quickly. Yeah. And you kind of hope the same thing will happen because I don't think it's, it's no one's no one's winning out of it. So. No, I think the trouble is as well in the eighties people had to you know it was people's faces, people on the streets, and now mm. people are hiding behind whatever they hide behind you know mm. hiding in their mum's basement selling brain force or whatever you know pumping out the most disgraceful crap yeah and it's, that it's really always, harms people but you know when you see the people behind it they're always nice innocuous looking oh god they're creeps and jerks mm. you know so that was, yeah. that was I shouldn't really go yeah. um, <laughs> so just to just to finish up um, yeah. so could you just just if anyone's still listening which I yeah. <laughs> please doubt, still listen except my mum maybe um to be an editor yeah I think we didn't really touch on that um, you are an editor so I am what do you what do you edit what, what do you do what's the job of an editor the job of an editor is to take the raw material and make it you know guide it towards being the best it can possibly be not making it the best it can be because that's the job of the writer but, but finding ways to help the writer make this the best possible work it can be do you think it's a, um, a job that's um, underrated uh, yes, of course I do. I would like more recognition for the valuable contribution I make. Um, I think it should be underrated. I mean, I think it's one of those things that if you want approbation and public acclaim, don't be an editor because actually your job is about being invisible. Um, and I think go and be go and do your writing as the way to get public acclaim, and be an editor as the way to really hone what it is you do to help other people hone their work you know they're two very different skills but I think the role I, I think a good editor oh my god a good editor is invaluable I've had you know I've been so lucky when I've had my my work edited really really well whether it's for you know magazines or, or newspapers or uh, books I've really really valued good editors um, but I think it's I, I think it's doesn't need to be kind of a public recognition job. It's not about that. Um, so, do you think that every writer should do their editing first? No, because I don't think the two. I don't think everybody can. I don't think it's. I think. Don't you think it makes you a better writer to know to know that actually there's lots of extraneous words out there that don't add anything to a sentence. Um, yeah, editing. Saying that, I just which on extraneous words all the time. Yeah, that's not quite what an editor does though, because there'll be some people whose style is totally all about those extraneous words. Okay. Uh, you know, whose work really needs all that all that kind of ballast so it's about being able to understand what partic each particular writer needs you to do to make their work better some some work needs very little input some work needs loads so but does so does it depend on the writer or does it depend on the the product that you're editing That's both of those things okay. it depends it's both of those things and also i when i give in something as a writer i'm not i'm not being an editor at that point I'm, I'm, I'm but being you a must writer. edit it in your head. You must. I, you I think, must. but every writer edits what they. You know, no writer just goes. You know. No, they will go that. But you, you, must have, you must have. You must have a slightly greater understanding of it. 
having done it for so long. I think it's so really impossible. It's all right to say so long. <laughs> okay. I'm actually 103, so you know I have worked for a very long time <laughs> since the invention of television. Still not enough um, pension though, <laughs> not no, this day no, and age. No, no, God, no, I'm still working, obviously. Um, I think it's impossible to edit your own work. I think, I think you can see writers who've perhaps got too big um, for editors to feel confident about approaching them about what's not working. Uh, what's working and what's not working you know you can see ed- books that get progressively bigger and bigger and you think a really good editor would would have maybe or a writer not a really good editor, a writer that an- allowed themselves to be edited okay. uh, might have made better choices uh, but I think when you're a writer you're just in a different head headspace you don't see that actually if you put first paragraph uh, last and last you, you just don't see that stuff because you've written what you think is great and it takes a cold outside eye to come in and go if you just tweak that into the, that, it'll be much better. You go, oh, okay. You've got a different perspective from me. Um, so you consider yourself to have a cold outside eye. When I'm an editor. When it, when it comes to the, the wonderful world of squirrels. Yeah, totally. I'm hard when it comes to the squirrels. It's more of a Betty than a yeah, Rolly. Yeah, oh, totally. Totally. I'm <laughs> such a Rolly. Yeah, you are. Absolutely. <laughs> right, well, on that note, thank you ever so much. It's a um, pleasure. For, for talking and, uh, and putting up with my... And well done to anybody who's got this far. Oh, you know, here's a, have, like, have a badge, like have a, a hey doggy badge. Code or something that people can type into Twitter and win yeah. massive amounts of hey doggy yeah. old comics that I've collected. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you very much, Jenny. Pleasure. hope you enjoyed that episode please subscribe for more of the same with different people talking about storytelling um, covering different aspects uh, drop me an email you can if you want it's hello at epicureben.com and any suggestions anybody wants to be on the podcast if you like storytelling if you've got a story to be told don't know I'm just witchering now really I'm just just going on about stuff if you listen to this point well I mean well done I mean really well done and to be fair, if I was awarding badges, you'd get one. Um, yeah, but I'm not. Well, could do, I guess. It's all badges made, couldn't I? I love getting my stuff made. But uh, that's just me. Anyhow, it's all right.